0: what is up everybody welcome back to another episode of the rewired soul podcast it's your host chris and today i have a guest that i've been trying to get on forever now like pretty much since i started this podcast and this is none other than carissa valise all right so carissa is a philosopher and she really dives deep into the ethics around digital privacy all right and obviously digital privacy is one of the major topics of the world today right we're all on social media we all use google we're all going to website and every single one of these places we go whether it's google or amazon or facebook or whatever every single one of these places is just harvesting our data. All right. Like you might've heard of like, you know, the big Cambridge Analytica scandal and all that. So Carissa, uh, as you'll hear us discuss in this conversation, she noticed that, you know, there wasn't really many philosophers or people like diving into the ethics around all of this. And that's why she dove into it. And she wrote her phenomenal book, privacy is power. All right. And, and great news. The paperback edition just came out At the time of recording this uh, today on the 11th of January. All right. But anyways, I wanted to have Carissa on because I am this technology and data optimist. All right. So there's, there's, you know, a lot of people who like, you know, talk about all of the concerns and the fears around this. And I feel, I feel like I'm missing something. Right. And I think that's important. And I try to talk about this quite a bit, not just, you know, reading books by and talking to people that we might disagree with. But whenever you take a stance on something, it's really important to be like, OK, what am I missing? Like, there's clearly something I'm missing here. So in this conversation, you'll uh, hear like I ask Carissa, I'm like, all right, Carissa, I'm going to need you to sell me on this (laughs) and carissa is like this amazing intelligent well-versed woman when it comes to this stuff and she actually uh she gets my anxiety to peak a little bit with some of the concerns that we should all be thinking about you know uh at the end of this i'm still not sure where i stand i definitely have a lot of concerns that you know carissa brought up that are extremely valid and you know part of this discussion Um, which I think was one of the strongest arguments that she makes uh, in her book, as well as in this conversation, is the fact that it's not just about our data, it's how our data uh, affects people in our lives, right? So we have a little bit of a conversation about that, but also I'm somebody who knows people. Uh, I have a lot of uh, friends who are women and they've been victims of stalking. And it's really scary uh, because I asked Carissa, How easy is it to go to some of these data brokers? Like we often think about how it's these big companies or politicians or whoever it is who's harvesting our data. But uh, Carissa tells us how surprisingly easy it is for just nefarious people in our lives uh, who we encounter to get access to that data. So there's a ton of topics that we cover. It's a very important topic. And like I said, it's, it's often coming up you know, within the media and everything like that. And Carissa is doing some of the best research of bringing up some of the most important conversations around data privacy. So make sure you head down to the description, make sure you are following Carissa. And I have linked her book, Privacy is Power. Um, It is a phenomenal book. A lot of the authors who I've had on have read it and talked about it and tweeted its praises. So make sure you grab a copy. The paperback edition is out now and it has a brand new forward and a brand new afterwards. So she's updated a little bit with some of the things that have gone on. Um, so yeah, make sure you grab a copy and you're following Carissa. But before we get started, just a couple things. Uh, if you're not yet, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul, uh, mainly because I love chatting with all of you. I love having conversations, getting book recommendations, talking about various topics that we cover on the podcast and things like that. But I've also been writing a lot more over at Substack, covering some important topics, so you won't miss anything if you're following me on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. And lastly, before we get started, some of you are actually listening to this podcast episode a day early, and now the other portion of you are saying, what, Chris, how do I do that? How, how do I listen to this podcast a day early? Well, the answer is very simple down in the description below. You can click on the link to my Substack. If you become a paid subscriber, you help support the podcast a little bit. You get access to all of the regular episodes a day early. And it's so cheap. It is so, so, so cheap. It is $5 a month or or it's $50 for the year. So if you want to help support the podcast, if you like the work that I'm doing here, you want to keep supporting it, uh, yeah, become a paid subscriber and you will also get access to all of the regular podcast episodes a day early. Pretty sweet deal, right? But anyways, anyways, I absolutely love this conversation with Carissa, so without further ado, here's my conversation with Carissa Valise about her fantastic book, Privacy is Power. All right. Hello, Carissa. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing today?
1: I'm very well. Thanks, Chris. How are you?
0: I am great. We've been trying to link up for months now, and we finally did it. So I know, yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, you're busy, and busy, busy is good. And that that's the thing, too. Like, I have a lot of authors that are like, oh, I'm super busy. I'm like, no, that's good. You're doing far more important things, you know, like trying to save the world from all the crazy data stuff going on. But but before we jump into the privacy and all that. For those who have yet to meet you, uh, can you let everybody know, like what what is your work focused around, and what do you kind of research and look into?
1: I'm a philosopher at Oxford, and uh, for many years I have been studying the ethics and politics of privacy, and now more and more I'm getting into the ethics of AI more generally.
0: Mm, got it. That's interesting too. So we're gonna have to touch on that because I've been slowly getting into the AI aspect of things. But yeah, so your, your recent book, which we'll be talking about today is privacy is power. So before we d- jump into some of those topics, I'm gonna let you know, like, and I think I've talked to you about this before on the side, but I'm gonna need you to help sell me on this. All right, because, cause I, I feel like I am in the middle and I don't know how many other people are because on one side, like I am like, I hate, you know, the powerful and how they just use and manipulate and they're making money off of all of us. and They don't care and all these other things. But then on the other hand, I'm kind of like this technological optimist, like I've I've written about how like, I feel like social media and stuff helped me out a lot, you know, uh, because I was very introverted and shy, and it helped me like connect with people and get me out of my shell. So like, I want to find like a happy me. Okay, so, so with with Your book, Privacy is Power. What what did you what did you start noticing about, you know, the changes happening with, you know, all the social media platforms and Google? Like when did you like be like, oh wait, maybe this is an issue?
1: So I first got worried about it as a global issue when Snowden came out with his revelations Mm. that we were being mass surveilled. Um, and the first worry, of course, is that we were being surveilled by governments. And I think most people find that slightly troublesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, You might be fine with being surveilled by a company that you like, but the government, you know, the government has a power to arrest people. It has all kinds of different Mm -hmm. powers that companies don't have. and, And that makes it a bit more worrisome. So I started researching that and realized there was so much that hadn't been figured out and the literature in philosophy was very outdated and there was very little yeah. of it in, in about privacy. So I thought that like, so, somebody, somebody should do this. Yeah. And so I actually changed the topic of my dissertation and wrote my doctoral dissertation on, on this topic. And then as I researched more and more, I thought, but actually the most concerning things happening right now are probably not govern- government surveillance or, or probably corporate surveillance. And in fact, mm. There are many reasons for why it's actually very hard to distinguish between those two. And um, most of the data or a lot of the data that gets collected by companies ends up either with the government, or at least has the potential to end up with governments. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, many, much of the data that's collected by governments ends up uh, in the hands of corporations. And so while I was a bit concerned from the start, I really became alarmed when I looked at the details. And I thought that this was just too important for it to remain academic. And that's why I wrote my book. Mm. I wrote the book thinking of somebody like, like you or even some, somebody who's even more skeptical who thinks, you know, they have nothing to hide and, and, and they're not interested in privacy. And I wrote it thinking about the, the kind of book that I would have liked to be able to read when I first got interested in the topic. I didn't, I, I hadn't found a book that kind of condensed all the reasons for why privacy is important. How does it mm-hmm. connect to issues in politics? Like democracy and freedom and autonomy and power and i wanted to write a book that was very practical that Mm -hmm. not only looked at the practical implications but also thought about how, how we can fix this and and that not only criticize but propose something different
0: yeah yeah absolutely and and uh one of your articles i read right before we hopped on i think uh I can't remember if you wrote about, use this analogy in the book as well, but you talked about like uh, our our house key or like a master key, right? And just like having just someone randomly just coming through our house and going through our stuff. And when you put it like that, it's like, yeah, that's really scary, right? And that's like worrisome. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, uh, what happened, uh, all the information that Snowden released, I think that's a good jumping off point. And sometimes I wonder if I'm just, I, I lie to myself when I try to be too optimistic because like I get anxiety and I, you know, it's this self-deception that helps keep me sane. But, you know, starting with Edward Snowden, right? um when I When I learned about that, when I heard about that, I'm like, this, this is terrible. This is awful. And we've, we've, kind of learn, and uh, you discussed this a bit too, like when 9-11 happened, we kind of let go of a lot of our freedoms, right? We're like, hey, protect us, you guys can do whatever you want, but then it turns into this overreach. But with Snowden specifically and all that information and learning about you know, how they're able to look and spy and all these other things, what I do, I, I look at myself, I'm like, okay, so I I'm in the United States, my country has about 330 million people, right? And me, me personally, I am boring as hell, right? I, I, I'm i a recovering drug addict. I try to obey all the laws. I do everything I can, you know? And I'm just like, I'm like, do I have to worry if I'm not doing anything, right? Even though I don't like it, like if you said, hey, Chris, you have the choice, like will they do this or will they not? I'd be like, no, of course not, right? I'd be like, no, I don't, I don't want them to. But then on like a larger scale, globally, uh, because I read a lot of books and I, I've been trying to educate myself a little bit more like uh, Jillian York wrote a great book about surveillance capitalism. And I learned more about like what's happening in other countries with all the data and how governments are intruding. And I'm like, that's even scary. Right. And maybe, maybe I just think, you know, America, I don't really have to worry about it as much, but yeah. So, so I guess on a scale of one to 10, when I'm asking you, like for me as an American with the government, having the ability, like, is there really, are they really paying someone to be like, hey, I'm going to look at Chris Boute and see what this boring guy is doing? Like, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, not probably not the government, uh, mm-hmm. but definitely corporations. And that alone, you have reason to worry. So let me just give you a few examples, both re- real uh, that are happening right now. And that mm-hmm. could happen for why you should care about your privacy. So. Just starting with, with a li- really tangible, um, you might ask for a loan one day, or you might ask for a job, or you might ask for an apartment. And those institutions are going to look at your file online. They're going to buy your file from a data broker very likely.
0: Mm.
1: And they can find there your browsing history, uh, what you um, bought, what you've read, um, where you've been, how you, know, how you drive. How much you drink, how much you eat, all mm-hmm. kinds of things that are sensitive, so just that is enough to kind of make you think twice about this is about whether this is a good idea and mm-hmm. then there there are so many details uh, for instance, uh, the amount of time you wait when you call a company, say the customer service will depend on your data and the kind of opportunities that you see online, the kind of uh, job ads or ads for different kinds of opportunities will depend on your data you mm. could be discriminated in so many ways yeah and you'll never learn about it but it's very concerning you should be treated as an equal citizen and you're not no matter who you are you're mm. being treated on the basis of your data and that's already that to me that's kind of enough for us to to talk about this and to yeah. make sure that this is a kind of society that we would like but then you know you can imagine more concerning uh, scenarios So, for instance well, also, we, you have to worry about um, criminals online. As you know, our crime online is just skyrocketing, especially after the pandemic. And something like identity theft is just growing at such an exponential rate that I'm sure either it has happened to you or that you know somebody mm-hmm. who has had their credit card stolen. And, you know, that's kind of the least bad thing that can happen to you. But I've actually met people who have had their identity stolen and somebody has committed fraud in their name and they've spent hundreds or thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. defending themselves in court just to show that it wasn't them who committed those crimes. And that's, you know, even if you're like uh, an impeccably good citizen and absolutely boring, all those harms happen to you, whether you're absolutely boring or not. But then you have the interesting things, right? You might have a rare disease. uh, You might not you might know about it or not. And, th- and that can, you know, this can discriminate against you. You mentioned you are uh, a recovering addict. Uh, companies might be interested in that because they might think that you might be addicted to other things. So maybe yeah. they can get you into gambling or into mm-hmm. something else. And then the more concerning scenarios involve like, okay, let's suppose that you like your current president. Um, Can you be sure that you like the following president and that the following president isn't going to be somebody who was going to seriously abuse that data
0: mm-hmm.
1: and let's imagine that you're very optimistic about your country and you say no america is fantastic we'll never you know have a, a dictatorship or anything like that can you be sure that china or russia is not going to hack into those um databases and try to abuse them
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: it's just a, it's a ticking bomb it's having a vulnerability and nobody yeah. wants to be vulnerable to people whom we don't we don't trust whoever those people you might imagine might be
0: yeah Yeah, no, and then, yeah, see, and then, and then I talk to you and my anxiety starts to flare up because I'm like, yeah, she does make very compelling points, but, um, and I, I do, I, I want to talk a little bit more about like the horror of all this, but, and then get into some of the solutions that you present and all that stuff, because like you were just talking about, um, I, I, I got really into uh, you know, the discrimination aspect, right? I read, you know, like that book, Algorithms of Oppression. And there's a few other books just like that. And that that right there is where I get really troubled, right? Where they look at, you know, your race, your economic background. Because, you know, again, I, I look at my situation like I'm still, you know, not a, a wealthy, successful, you know person, right? And I had to really, like, I just uh, released an article today for Parents Magazine about how I fixed my financial life. Because in my addiction, I destroyed my credit, just destroyed my credit, my just everything, right? And knowing knowing what could be counted against me because of my history or whatever. But then I think about, you know, like, for example, I'm half black, but most people don't even know that. But I've, uh, I've read about how people are discriminated against. There's that famous story uh, about Amazon, where they had like an algorithm or their AI hiring people, and it was just discriminating against women. And it wasn't even programmed to do that. And these are things that I think about, you know, quite a bit. And that's where I find a lot of the trouble. And I do see what you're saying where this data, it's just, it's coming in and it's, it's, it's causing multiple, <laughs> it's causing multiple issues. But, you know, I, one of the questions I'm always asking is like, how unaware do you think the public is about, about what's happening with their data? And if they're being discriminated against, because I, I talk a lot about how I think the meritocracy idea is just a complete myth. And when we talk about how data is discriminating, like that's not giving people a fair shot in an equal share, but are, are people still really unaware of this? Do you think?
1: My sense is that they are, and, and it's tricky because on the one hand, we're much more aware than, than we used to be. So most people, you know, if you stop somebody on the street and, and ask them, do you think your data is being sold? I think most people by now would say, yeah, I know my data is being sold. And so that's tricky because I think we think we are aware, but actually we don't know the extent of it. We don't realize how much data and how data, get, data gets used and especially how inferences are made. So for instance, you might be perfectly comfortable sharing with Facebook Um, Your friends, you you say, you know, why is that revealing? Why is that important? Or sharing your music tastes. But if from your friend list, um, Facebook is going to infer whether you are going to be able to pay back a loan, then that's very sensitive data. Or Mm -hmm. from your music tastes, whether they infer um, your sexual orientation, that's very sensitive data. And I think most people wouldn't be comfortable sharing that. And they don't realize that by sharing data that seems innocuous, seems boring. They're actually sharing a lot more than they think,
0: yeah, yeah, and you know, uh, I'm curious too, because something that you 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 mentioned too, these data brokers, so I know there's plenty of data brokers and you know and all of that, but you you kind of mentioned almost like with uh hiring decisions, do you know like because that's something I haven't heard of, like companies, right, like corporations? are data brokers reaching out to them to sell them data? So, or like, can someone put in a request? Cause like, uh, I don't know how it is in other countries, but when you get hired here it's like, they'll do a background check and it goes through like the criminal database to make sure, you know, I'm not like a murderer or you know whatever, um, but can they get like this kind of data? Because I actually used to work in the car dealership industry and they would, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of sales companies do this. Well, they'll do like a credit check. Right, or even some places they'll do a credit check. So even before all of this data collection, they were doing this on a smaller scale. So now I'm curious: is this is this something that's happening where data brokers are actually working with companies for hiring decisions?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so if you go into one of these websites uh, for a data broker, uh, they'll kind of brag on how many data points they have on people. Sometimes it's in the thousands, and um, they'll brag about how many. People they have on their on their database, and sometimes it'll be in the hundreds of millions. And if you look at the data points, they're very sensitive. They include things like uh, what religion you profess, mm. um, what car you have, um, details about your mortgage, about your education history, all kinds of things. And yeah, these files basically get sold to the highest bidder. In mm. some cases, you can even buy them as an individual. So there's a company that I'm not going to mention um, in which you can, you can pay, I think something like $25 a month and you can run background checks on everybody, you know. Um, so it's, it's just ridiculously easy. And of course, if you imagine a perfect world in which everybody has good intentions and everybody uh, respects limits, um, then you wouldn't worry, but that, that's just not realistic.
0: Yeah yeah and you know, and you mentioned that you know twenty five dollars a month, like that's something I you know, even though I'm pretty broke, I could do that, right? is this Is this something that you know people should be concerned about because, you know, I have a background in like mental health and things like that. I know a lot of women who have been victims of like domestic violence and everything. Um, and right now, right now, even if we eliminated data brokers, like people who are you know halfway decent with social media, they can find out a lot about a person, right? Like I, I have friends who are like, hey, look, I found this like celebrity's house that, you know, or whatever. And like you can, with the right amount of Google searches, you could find stuff. But now I, I'm, I'm worried just about like stalking in the digital age, are these types of things that, you know, the average person, like if there was just a a, a crazy ex-boyfriend or something like that, could they have access to these data brokers without, like as long as they're paying the right amount of money?
1: Yeah. So, um, there was a case, but it was years ago about, um, uh, in which, yeah, a, a crazy abusive ex-partner managed to find a woman through buying her file from a data broker and murdered her. Oh, so wow. it's already happened. And since that case, there have been some data brokers that are now more careful about it. And so for instance, some data brokers only sell to companies. But again, many times, the kind of checks that they make are just ridiculous. There was one case in which the data broker sold um, information about credit card numbers to a company that turned out to be just a group of fraudsters who literally used that data to, to rob money. Oh, wow. So it's 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 not hard to get your hands on this incredibly sensitive data. And it's not like companies are saints, right? It's not like just because you're a company then you're trustworthy and you can just you should be able to access these very sensitive data about people including things about their diseases their mm-hmm. politics their religion why are we allowing companies to access this data again
0: yeah yeah no i a- absolutely like i said like if i had the option i would be like no don't don't do that and you know um one of the things that i think about too is like you mentioned uh you know, uh, other countries getting this information and affecting elections. Because here in the United States, obviously that was a, a huge, huge narrative, right? And then we had like uh, the, the Cambridge Analytics scandal, right? So I'm, I'm curious, I don't know how much you've researched and read this stuff, but I've been reading more and more books. Like, uh, for example, I have like Chris Bailon, he's a, you know, um, director of the Duke Polarization Lab and he wrote a book called The Social Media Prism. But there's a few other books that have come out and some research where they're kind of, um, they're, they're arguing that the research shows that it's not exactly swaying like elections, right? So I think it was Hugo Mercier's book I just reread where he was saying that based on what they found is like, say, if I was, you know, conservative, right? If I read something that was giving me misinformation about, you know, uh, the, the left, leaning side of the party i would just become more entrenched in my beliefs but it's hard to move someone from one side to the other right so there are people out there who are saying hey this is kind of like we're we're kind of blowing this out of proportion when it comes to manipulating like elections and i was like oh well chris maybe has looked into this and she probably has her own thoughts on this so lay them on me
1: yeah so even if that was true even even if it were true that it just entrenches opinions. That's already pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, we've seen like how polarized things can get and we don't want a society in which we are so entrenched in our views that literally we, we can't understand each other or talk to each other in a civil way. So that in itself is a way of uh, interfering with democracy. And in fact, there have been many cases of Russian trolls uh, just pitting Americans against each other, yeah. not with any intention to sway an election, but just with the intention of undermining civility and trust and civic friendship in yeah. a society. That's that's pretty bad. But furthermore, I think it's true that it's very hard to, to convince somebody who is really right-wing of being left-wing and the opposite. Um, but what Cambridge Analytica did is they identified people whom they called persuadables. Mm. So these were people who were not very entrenched in their views, who were doubting about who to vote for. And... For those cases, different tactics were used for, for some cases that, you know, might be convinced to vote for a, cer- a certain person that they might get that kind of propaganda, but in many cases, they just got content and um, against democracy. So basically content that, that tried to convince them to stay at home, that voting yeah. doesn't matter, that it doesn't make a difference, that every candidate is the same, that the system is broken. And that is a direct affront to democracy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and I one thousand percent agree with you. Like, I think, I think it is an issue. Like when I when I read that, and they said, "Oh, it just makes people more entrenched; it doesn't sway people." I'm like, that's still kind of bad, right? Like, I I talk to a lot of people about polarization, and I see it all the time. And you know, just one of the other things I rant about is that there are people, just real people, uh, uh, who are like on Twitter. Or even in news outlets where they're just doing it manually. They're human beings. <laughs> just making people more entrenched by sharing this information or polarizing and like, look what the other side's doing. So that's a whole other humanity issue that we need to deal with. But one of uh one of the last things I wanna ask you about too, and this is kind of um uh just on this topic, but it it's it's kinda cause I'm I have a background in like marketing, I think. Um but so I've I've worked with companies where we ran like Facebook ads, and I don't think I don't think people fully know too like how like these ads are actually run. Like like when I would go in there, I can pick, I can figure out how much you make, right? So I can target my ads. So like, oh, you can't afford this. I'm not even <laughs> you know. I can pick a specific location, all that. But anyways, anyways. So here's here's something I wrote about the other day, and maybe you can give me your best argument against this. So I remember growing up watching TV and I would just get, you, you, you would get random commercials, right? Just commercials for everything. I'm like, I don't care about 90% of this stuff. Right. So the optimist in me, I'm like, good, good. Facebook is collecting my data. It knows what I like. So it's showing me things that I might actually be interested in buying right like if it's showing me like a bunch of dresses and skirts and you know and since i don't wear those things it's like why would you do that so i'm kind of happy that it shows me things that i might be interested in and then so aside from that i see that as a benefit but also also and we can dive into this a little bit i'm also a fan of having faith in people that like they have a little self-control and can make their own, you know, that that good old-fashioned human agency. Like, so when I read these things about marketing and advertising, I'm like, so do you think I'm just some mindless drone where anything that pops up that I might like, I'm just going to automatically click and buy? Like, I make decisions. I'm like, oh, I don't want that. I can't afford that or I don't need that. So I I I feel like the narrative is just like people just, they'll do whatever you tell them to do and they're just mindless kind of zombies. So... Where am? What am I missing in that regard to targeted marketing and advertising? Why is it worse than what I'm seeing?
1: So one one maybe missing part of the puzzle is that if if marketing didn't work at all, then nobody would do it, right? So, so, I mean, hmm. somebody buys the products that, that get marketed, and and even if you say like you know I'm I'm just so stubborn that I know exactly what I want and I'm never swayed, Uh seeing kind of personalized propaganda that makes you feel afraid or that makes you feel threatened by your citizens, just just by changing the way you feel, even if you don't do anything about it, that's Mm -hmm. already significant. But what worries me most about personalized ads is not what they expose people to, but the kind of information that they get from people. So here's an example. When you go into a website, even before it's loaded, your sensitive information has been sent to hundreds of corporations who are bidding against each other to show you an ad mm-hmm. and that, let's say that one wins and you get to you know the ad that you that you want, which is shoes or whatever it is and By that time, those hundreds of corporations get to keep your data and then they get to sell it to data brokers and they the data brokers sell it to insurance companies, and so that's mm-hmm. the cycle so when when I'm concerned about ads it, I'm more concerned about the information they take from us and the information they show to us. Mm. But there is concern about the information they show to us because it gets used for political purposes. And here's, a, here's the deal. Okay, you don't want to see relevant ads, neither do I. But we can show you relevant ads without being so intrusive. So if you're searching for a backpack, we can show you backpacks. And that's called contextual advertising, and it's very old. Yeah. So when you, when you buy a magazine for sports, you are going to see in that magazine ads for sports gear. And and the magazine doesn't have to know anything about you, not your age, not your gender, not your political tendencies or, or, or anything even more sensitive. So we can get you those advantages without these disadvantages. Why, why wouldn't we do that? And furthermore, even if we couldn't, but we can, but even if we couldn't, like, do you like relevant ads so much that you would be willing to give up your <laughs> democracy for them?
0: Yeah, yeah. You're 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 good at this, Carissa. Okay. So you're shifting a little bit. But I will I will tell you, uh the most compelling argument that I feel that you you made when I, I, I read your book, I'm like, okay, well, I cannot argue this at all. And here's here's what it was. It's that even if I'm okay with it, it's affecting the people that I know, right? So even if I give my consent, even if I log in to Facebook and I'm like, I don't care, take my data or whatever, I'm linked to all these other people and it sees that and everything. And that's something that I hadn't thought about before. I didn't think about, you know what I mean? So can you kind of break down, like, if, if there's a guy like me, I'm an optimist and I just play all loosey-goosey with my data and stuff, how does it affect my son, my girlfriend, my mom, my dad, my friends, and things like that. How are other people affected by this?
1: Well, let's say that you um, do one of these genetic tests uh, at home to figure if, you know, your great grandfather was uh, from, I don't know, somewhere interesting, or whether you're allergic to, to the sun or, <laughs> or other kinds of quirky things. And that genetic data, of course, includes the, da- the data of your son, It includes the data of your parents. It includes the data of your siblings, of your cousins, and even very distant kin who might get life insurance denied because Mm. if you have bad genes, or they might get deported. And this has already happened in Canada. Um, If you share data about your location and say you live with your girlfriend, then you're sharing data about where she lives as well. And, you know, that could be sensitive, of course, you know. she has a, a personal enemy or or whatever. If you share data about um, your personality traits, you're sharing data about people who share those personality traits. So, and then, you know, you, you can just go broader and broader in the circle. And eventually you are sharing things about your citizens and mm-hmm. your co-citizens and um, that can affect your society. So the best example is again, Cambridge Analytica, only 270,000 people agreed to give their data to Cambridge Analytica and with that data the firm got access to the data of 87 million people Mm. then were used to create a tool that would profile millions of voters across the world
0: yeah yeah and that's yeah that's where I'm like okay I don't I don't like that because you know I shouldn't be able to consent to something and then it, it affects other people that's you know it's almost it's almost like the uh the ridiculous like vaccine debate like oh it's my body it's like okay but when your choices are affecting other people that's that's when i i see it as an issue but you know now that now that we're halfway through let's let's get into the the fun happy stuff and that's that's the solutions because part i think part of my optimism and downplaying a lot of these concerns is because I, and I don't know how many other people do, like, I feel pretty powerless to this thing, right? So a lot of these corporations, you look at Facebook, you look at Twitter, you look at Google, United States-based company, right? And, you know, I'm not as familiar with uh, uh, politics in other countries, but I do know here in the United States, how much politics are influenced by money, right? And, you know, these are the, the richest people in the world that have so much money, right? Even if you take into account, uh, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and the amount of data that they're collecting, collecting and Elon Musk with the um, Tesla's having like the auto driving and all that stuff, it's collecting an insane amount of data. So anyways, anyways, um, we have section 230, which I don't know if a lot of people are familiar with, but it prevents these tech companies from being like sued for publishing content and things like that. So I don't know whether it's Section 230 because I've thought I've heard people talk about like amending it or repealing it. But starting with the United States, what are some realistic solutions? Is it is it regulation? Is it new laws? Where where do we get started here?
1: So on the one hand, I you know I'm writing about very scary things, and <laughs> uh, you, you know you're not the first one to tell me that. Their anxiety flares up to when, when we talk about these things. I think, you know, the landscape is pretty grim. But at the same time, I'm actually quite an optimist because I think it's so bad that it's unsustainable. And mm-hmm. we are going to tackle it. We have regulated all the industries that have come before the tech industry, from cars to railroads, airplanes, food, drugs, you name it. And this comp- these companies and, and this industry is not more complicated than say, banking or finance. Yeah. Now, granted, sometimes we don't regulate things as well, um, but you know, at times, maybe this is not the best of time, but at times we have regulated banks properly. Um. so it's something that is definitely feasible. Furthermore, tech companies in a way are easier than other industries for at mm. least two reasons. One is, especially with companies like Facebook and Google. They completely depend on our data. Without our, da- yeah. our data, they have nothing to sell. Yeah. They don't have a, a business model without personal data. And that makes them incredibly vulnerable. And that's why somebody like like Zuckerberg lobbies so hard for certain kinds of views. And it's because they're terrified. Yeah. And they're terrified of how vulnerable they know they are. And the second reason why... It should be easier to type all these companies than industries of the past is that they're very international. So the Mm. United States had to um, regulate uh, people like Rockefeller on your own. But in this context, it's not only the United States, it's the United Kingdom, it's Europe, it's Australia, it's Zealand, it's Japan, it's Latin America. Everybody wants to regulate these guys so we can join forces. So what do we need to to regulate them? I mean, clearly we, we need regulation. There's no way around it because this is a collective action problem. And only through collective action will we get some solutions. And already things are happening in the United States. There's a lot of talk of passing a federal privacy law, among other reasons, because there are already different state privacy laws like the California one, um, that are making things hard for companies, because if if you're a company that is international or, or that certainly uh, covers the whole of the United States and you have to um, comply with these very different laws, that's, that's a mess. And with data, it gets very complicated very quickly. So in fact, it would be good, not only for citizens, but also for companies themselves to yeah. just have one set of straight rules about it. And it's kind of ridiculous that, that the U S is one of the last developed countries, if not the last one, to not have that kind of law. So I think that's just a matter of time. I don't know if it's going to take one year or two years or three years, but it, but it, it's going to happen, I think. Yeah. Um, and that's going to include different kinds of things. Some of it will be similar to the GDPR in Europe, things like people should be able to access their data, they should be able to ask for the deletion of their data, they should be able to change data that is inaccurate, things like that. And I think we'll see new kinds of legislation, for instance, surrounding surveillance ads. Um, this is a priority. And I think there are already a few people in Congress that, who are aware of this problem and are going to try to tackle it. Um, ads should be, should offer us information. They shouldn't take information away from us and they, they shouldn't be able to um, get any kind of personal data from us. It's totally unnecessary and unjustified. So that's that's one thing. There are other measures that I me- mentioned in the book. In the book, there are like, I don't know, 20, 25 measures. But one very important one is improving cybersecurity standards.
0: Our mm. cybersecurity
1: standards at the moment are just non-existent. Yeah. You have companies with very sensitive information, um, sometimes tied to the government, that have passwords that are, you know, 1234 or admin. It's, it's that bad. It's really like to cry for. And, you know, because it's so bad, there's there's a lot we can do. And some Mm -hmm. of it will be hard, but some of it is really easy. Just like, you know, having good passwords. It shouldn't be that complicated. Um, And then, you know, we can get more and more ambitious. Mm -hmm. I think that if we really were serious about protecting democracy, the best thing we could do is to ban the data economy, ban the trade in personal data. Even in the most capitalist of societies, we agree that there are certain things that are just not for sale, that shouldn't be in the market. It includes things like votes. We don't buy or sell votes. We don't buy or sell the results of um, sports matches. We don't buy or sell people. And for the same reason that we don't buy or sell votes, we shouldn't buy or sell personal data because it gets used much in the same way.
0: Yeah. So, you know, here's uh, here's something I think about a lot. And because, you know, uh, with with like what you're working on, with what you're fighting for and, you know, uh, I... We have to convince a lot of people, we have to convince people this is an issue. And here's what I think about all the time is that (laughs) this is gonna sound terrible, but I'm sure you understand people are lazy and they love convenience. All right. And I think Amazon is the best example, right? Like if, if you went up to just anybody on the street and you said, Hey, do you think Jeff Bezos is like a good person? Right. I think a lot of people would say no. I don't think so, right? Like the way you know, aside from uh, just everything that they're they're collecting, but how they treat workers, how they, uh, the, I don't I don't know how many people are, know about this, but how they've they've found the best selling products and then they just promote their stuff above it and undercut the brands. Like they're doing so many shady things, right? But every just all the bad things, and I'm I'm like, what is the worst thing that Jeff Bezos can do? I try to imagine that scenario, and then I'm like but they're so convenient, right? And people put that convenience above morality and ethics and all these other things. So that's, that's where I, I wonder about, you know, not only Amazon, but, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Google and all this stuff, right? Like people want that convenience. So how do we get people to understand like, hey, this is important right? Because if Amazon went out of business and people they're getting stuff to their door the day after they order it and all, you know, you, you see what I mean? So if we start cracking down, because that's what these trillion dollar companies are going to start doing. It's almost like union busting here in the States. I'm like, Hey, if they regulate us, if they do this, you're, you're going to have to pay more for shipping. It'll take a week to get that thing rather than a day. They're going to do all that. And people are going to say in my you know, in my mind, I'm like, they're going to say, oh, screw that. Just take all my data, you know? So how do, how do we call that that together, Carissa?
1: So first of all, it, you know, if we regulate it appropriately, we wouldn't need to give up that much convenience. We have to give up convenience because we're not regulated. So it's partly about um, informing people about the things that that, that matter and, and that many most people don't know how data works. Um, and how regulation works, mm-hmm. and I think that now that the 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 government has an incentive to regulate, and that's because they realize that personal data is a liability for national security. I think that's going to help because once you ha- you have the government really interested in something, you know they're good at persuading people as well with things like security. But in terms of convenience, we do all sorts of things that. We just take for granted and are inconvenient, right? We uh, we lock our houses and we have these keys that we lose all the time, and we um, we brush our teeth, and you know there there's so many things that are inconvenient because we value certain things like security and like health, yeah. and if we value democracy, then there are certain things that we have to do to protect it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So because that's, yeah, that's just something I'm like, hey, you know, you should care about this a little bit more. And, you know, uh, for example, uh, you know, uh, I have an upcoming episode with, with Krista, we're talking about like online shaming and stuff like that. And it's like, how do I get people to care about this? Because it's so easy to just pile on the people or just, you know, and that's what I'm often thinking about. Because, you know, there's, there's, you know, incentives, like humans run off incentives, like what's, what's easy, what's convenient, what makes me feel good. And and all these other things, so I think you know, out of all this like you know legislation and stuff, I think is a big challenge, but also swaying public opinion and getting giving getting them to give up a little bit of comfort and convenience for the the greater good but um uh, I, I i I've been wondering too, because it seemed like a good idea to me at the time for all of this, but Andrew yang presented something I don't know if he's still working on it. Uh, he talked about the data dividend and basically what he was saying was hey we need some legislation where we should get paid for our data right so that's that's one of the things there's you know the privacy is a huge issue right privacy is power but also we don't get squat like mark zuckerberg could like buy an entire country and we don't see a penny of it right they're making money off of our data so andrew yang he presented this idea where we we get paid like hey you have access to our data i don't know all the details of it but um i'm curious your thoughts around that like there are still issues like we discussed where my my data can affect other people around me but what 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 do you think around like the the ethics around that if i said hey you can have my data if you pay me and and all that is that a, a a possible solution, or there's still pretty pretty big issues with that.
1: I think it's a terrible idea. Um, it <laughs> sounds good. I can yeah. see how it sounds good. You know, I, I can I can see the attraction in it, but I mean, it sounds good because we're in a society in which we value personal property, and we think like, well, given that we're so respectful of property, if we tr- if we if we treat data as property, then you know we'll be respecting data. But it just data doesn't work like that way. Um, because, like we talked about, okay, so well, first of all, you would get peanuts for your data,
0: yeah, and yeah. you would get
1: sense, and you know, data has a very dangerous combination of being very cheap, very valuable and and very sensitive, and that's a really dangerous combination because yeah. for you. It does. It's not worth getting money for your data because you're not gonna be able to do anything without money. You're gonna be able to buy bubble gum at best. Yeah. Um, but of course, for a company that has billions and billions and billions of data points, then you know they can do a lot of things. So there's a huge asymmetry. So that's for starters. It just wouldn't work because you wouldn't get enough money for it. But secondly, like we talked about, um, so say I I sell my genetic data for a dollar, um. My my siblings didn't consent to that. So I don't have the moral authority to sell data mm-hmm. when that data, A, contains data about other people and B, will have negative consequences for other people like in the case of Cambridge Analytica.
0: Yeah. So since I only have a little bit more of your time, one of the questions I want to ask you for everybody listening, okay? So, So you, your entire field of research revolves around this right but you you have to use social media me and you we connected on twitter right we, you you use email i'm sure you google your papers are published right and you have to lead people to them and they can find you and all this stuff so for carissa right how do you protect yourself with the lack of regulation and all these other things like what are some you know i'm sure there's quite a bit uh quite a few things that you do but what are what are ways that you kind of protect yourself until we get some of these bigger problems solved that the average listener can start doing on their own?
1: So like you mentioned, I'm not a good example because I've chosen <laughs> to try to get the message out there. And that means that I have to expose myself much more than I'm remotely comfortable with. Yeah. So, you know, if you're an accountant or, you know, I don't know, an architect or or whatever it is. You don't have to expose yourself like that. But some of the things I do are some of the things I I recommend in my book. So I um I use Signal. I um I use Proton Mail. I I try to avoid Google products. I don't always succeed, but I try to do my best. Uh, for the most part, um I try to Buy things with cash in person, especially before COVID. Of course, that has mm. been uh, hard. Ah, yeah, but but in in normal times, um, if a company asks for my email, I'll refuse to give it to them. Or if they really insist, I'll give them one that is not mine. Or I'll create uh, aliases and and use those instead of my personal email. I um. I try to have certain kind of conversations and certain kinds of um, events in which there are no phones, so we can have the feeling of real intimacy. Whenever I have to teach, including teaching online, I try to refuse that my students be recorded so I, we can talk more frankly. Just, you know, I, I, I do what I can and I'm very, very imperfect. Very.
0: Yeah. And,
1: but one of the things I argue in my book is that we don't have to be perfect. I mean, partly we're just making a statement that we care a lot about this so that things change and we don't have to be so careful.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's great too. Like with all the things that you, you mentioned, what it reminds me of is, you know, uh, a few years ago, I went vegetarian and I'm not one of those like crazy vegetarians that like screams of people. But uh, when people ask me, right, I'm like, just do a meatless Monday or something, you know. Like, if you want to help, just do, you know, just one thing. Because if if we get more and more people to just do one thing, and I love that suggestion. When I was going back through the notes in your book and stuff, like, like yeah, like uh, yesterday I went to a store and they were like begging me for my email address and I'm more of just like, I don't want your nonsense coupons and spam. I get enough emails, you know, but these are things I do too, where I'm just like, yeah, it's this email and I don't know where it goes. I think it's fake or, you know, whatever, but, uh, but yeah, there's little things that we could do, but you know, one of the things and we, we may have to figure out a time in 2022 to return to this, but I'm, I'm really curious what, what are some of the things that you're looking at uh, when it comes to AI? Because I'm very, I'm very uh skeptical of the dangers of AI, right? Like I look at it and I'm like we're we're pretty far off from anything crazy going on, but there are definitely issues. So, what are some of the things that you're looking at in regards to artificial intelligence?
1: Well, one of the things um for instance what I have to what I'm teaching tomorrow is responsibility and, and AI. One of the problems we have with AI is that we have created very complex systems in which when things go badly and people get hurt and sometimes people get seriously hurt and um, everybody can say, well, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was just the mm-hmm. algorithm. Yeah. And then there are two problems. One is that um, just like, you know, everybody says it wasn't me. It's very hard to fix the problem because it's, uh, it's very hard to figure out where it went wrong. And secondly, we create bad incentives uh to for companies and, and governments to create very complex systems in which they can yeah just shrug you know shrug shrug things off uh and then get away with wh- whatever because they know that there won't be any consequences and in fact some of the proposed le- legislation in the UK right now worries me precisely because of this this point um they suggest that if something is disproportionate in, in their efforts uh, in the effort of companies, then they shouldn't be obligated to do it. But of course, that creates the incentive of creating um, systems that are so big and complex, that it would be disproportionate to have control over them. Yeah. And and that's a problem. So th- that's one example of the kind of thing I'm thinking about right now.
0: Yeah, no, that that's really cool. Like I had Kate Darling on here uh, to talk about her book on like robot ethics and stuff like that. And it just had me thinking about all sorts of stuff. And there's a similar topic about, you know, like robots, like who's accountable. Do we, is it the robot? Is it the company that made the robot, <laughs> you know, especially with machine learning and it doing new things that weren't intended based on, you know, and unintended consequences. So I do think that's important. And, uh yeah, I look forward to hearing more about what, what you have to say about it. But last thing, last thing, because your book is currently out, but uh, I did like we mentioned, i I spoke to Krista. What is this handbook that you're all working on? It's like a collection from a variety of different people. Um, her and I spoke about online shaming and issues with that. And she kind of mentions a few different topics in her chapter, but I'm curious what are what are some of the things that, if anybody's interested, that we can look forward to in that? collection yeah out.
1: so with regards to my book privacy is power the paperback is coming out in january so oh, i'm quite excited about nice. that it's coming out in the u.s and it has a new introduction and a new afterward in okay. which i write about um how things have developed in the past few months we have uh, we had a few really bad scandals including the pegasus scandal and i write about what is the duty of what what should the united states do um, in the international realm, given this context of data, and given that, for instance, China pa- just passed a very strict privacy law, which really surprised most of the world. So I have I have new content. So I, I
0: oh okay, I, I'll I'll need yeah. to check that out too.
1: Cool. Yeah, and then yeah, with with regards to the handbook, when I first started um, researching this topic, not a lot of philosophers were thinking about these things and that had me frustrated. So I decided to edit this handbook in which I uh, invited some of my favorite philosophers, now, some of them were already thinking about these issues. And so I just invited them to, to, to write about it, but some of them were kind of n- not thinking about these issues, but were thinking about very interesting practical issues, like things having to do with the economy or with politics. And I asked them to apply those, th- that knowledge to the case of um, digital ethics. So I'm really excited about it. Uh, Yeah, so Krista's chapter is about online shaming. We have chapters on cybersecurity, uh, chapters on the ethics of sex robots. We have a chapter on how the digital age is affecting democracy. We have a chapter on how AI might pose an existential risk to humanity. Um, We have chapters about the ethics of uh, work and automation. Mm. We have a chapter on what else? On fake news. Um, it's it's thirty six chapters, so it's it's oh, quite wow. um yeah, it covers a lot of a lot of material.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll be staying tuned because I'm definitely interested in that. And for everybody listening who doesn't know, you're also in this other book that I'm still working on with another previous guest, Brian Herb, uh, Future Morality. You're featured in there. Have an excellent chapter. So, so yeah, yeah. See, that's why I don't get upset that it took us so long to schedule. You are a busy, <laughs> busy woman, Carissa. <laughs> but, but yeah, I I appreciate you coming on. And yeah, you've definitely you've definitely sold me a little bit more. And now I need to get on Proton Mail and some other things. Um, but for for everybody, uh, where where's the best place to find you? Keep up to date. Uh, get the announcement when the paperback comes out. Uh, for the new book, where's the best place to follow you on online or should they like send you a letter somewhere?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, online, um, they can find me, you can find me on on Twitter. Um, my handle is just my name, Carissa Velis, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and regarding privacy tools, I forgot to mention um, one very good one is DuckDuckGo. Oh yeah. Um, it's It works really well. And then a website that can be very helpful is called uh, privacytools.io. And then you can find a list of different things, whether it's Mm -hmm. maps or um, instant messaging or video and voice and all kinds of alternatives that are respectful of privacy.
0: Beautiful. I will link some of those resources down in the description. And Carissa, you are amazing. And yeah, I'm sure we will be doing this again sometime. So yeah, I'll talk to you soon.
1: I'd love. So thank you so much for having me, Chris.
0: All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Carissa about her book, Privacy is Power. And yeah, like I said, I am very skeptical of some of the fear around this stuff, but if anybody helped shift me and my perspective a little bit on this topic, it is definitely Carissa. And I think it's, I think it's important. Like, uh, like I said, like, it is very well possible that because of my anxiety and my own coping mechanisms, maybe I uh, downplay it a little bit. But you know, I am glad that I was able to talk to Carissa about why she's optimistic about these things and some of the actions that people like you and me can take. You know, uh, this year we're coming up on the midterm elections. Uh, and we need to look at our representatives and where their stances are because something that we talk a lot about on this podcast and I write a lot uh, uh, about it on, over on Substack is how much our politics are influenced by big money because we need to recognize, even though you know some politicians come out here and try to signal and say like, oh, you know, big tech is bad, big tech is bad, both on the left and the right, a lot of them are being funded by the tech industry Or, or a lot of them own stocks in the tech industry. So to, to publicly denounce some of the things that big tech is doing, and then to vote against some of these things big tech is doing, those are two very, very different things. There's talking the talk and walking the walk. So if you feel that, you know, Carissa brought up some, uh, you know, real points of concern that we need to think about, uh, start looking at your politicians, see how they're voting, see what they're, you know, not just talking about, but see what actions they are taking against some of this data harvesting. All right. But yeah, make sure you head down to the description, make sure you're following Carissa over on Twitter and do yourself a favor like we we didn't get into all the nooks and crannies of some of these ethical conversations um so make sure you grab a copy of her book privacy is power uh if you're like me and you've already you know uh read this book the paperback edition is out now and it has a brand new forward a brand new afterward i'm about to grab myself a copy uh, and check it out to not only learn more about this topic but to also help support the work that chris is doing like i said she has even more projects uh, like Future Morality, that's a book that I'm reading. It also has um, another philosopher that I've had on the podcast, Brian Earp. And uh, this book that she's working on, this uh, Oxford Handbook um, with other philosophers. And I had Chris uh, Krista on recently to talk about online shaving. Um, yeah, make sure you're following um, Carissa so you don't miss out on these new books. Um, come out and her other projects. All right. But anyways, before I let you go, a few things, if you're not yet, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at the rewired soul. So you don't miss any episodes, any of uh, the, the writing projects that I'm working on. And most of all, like reach out, DM me, uh, tag me in a post. I love chatting with all of you about different topics, about different episodes, getting book recommendations and all of that. All right. But a couple of things two really easy ways to help support this podcast that are absolutely free. Share this episode. If you like this episode with Carissa, if you think it's important, if you think it's important that your friends, your family members, your social media followers are thinking about these data privacy issues, make sure you share this episode. All right. Or any other episode that you think is a good episode with any of our guests, it really helps get the word out there about this podcast helps grow this lovely little community and something else that helps out a lot is leave a rating and leave a review over on apple podcast that helps with the algorithms and the algorithms also see when you're sharing this stuff. So those are two very easy, free ways to help support the podcast, but some other ways you can help support the podcast over at the rewired soul.com I have self publish some books on anxiety, addiction recovery. I talk about cancel culture on YouTube. I've written some books on that. Um another way to support the podcast and you get a nice little perk from it is become a paid subscriber over on Substack. It's either five dollars a month Or $50 for the year, and you help support what I'm doing here, and you get the episodes of the podcast a day early. And lastly, if you're somebody like me, uh, I mentioned a few times that I struggle with anxiety. So if you're somebody who uh, is interested in improving your mental health, there's an affiliate link down below for BetterHelp Online Therapy. Uh, It's a service that I've personally used, and I can't recommend it enough. They have helped me out, you know, managing my anxiety, my depression, and just the difficulties of everyday life. Uh, So yeah, if you're looking for affordable therapy, uh, BetterHelp, check out that link down below. It's online, so you can do do it from the comfort of your own home. You can message your therapist you can do a video chat when you set up an appointment and one of my favorite features is a lot of people are afraid of that conversation when you need to fire your therapist because they're not great with better help like if you don't like a therapist you just literally click a button and they find you a new therapist all right so check out that affiliate link for better help online therapy down below and another huge huge thanks to Carissa we've been trying to link up for a very long time so I'm super glad she was able to come on make sure you follow her grab a copy of her book privacy is power and yeah for all of you thanks so much for tuning in and yeah i might i might have another episode for you this week i'm not sure yet but if you're following me on social media you'll definitely know for sure but regardless have an amazing rest of your day and i'll see you next time